0: Welcome to Lakewood's Sermon Podcast. We're glad you're here, and we'd like to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 online at lakewoodok.com slash live. Or we'd also love to see you in person at our campus in McAllister. Well, good morning. You know, I heard what Adam said in his prayer. He said that uh, normal's kind of out the window right now, and uh, there's a lot of truth to that. But I also think that there might be a lot of blessing to that. And hear me out on this. I mean, I I know it's difficult times, but the truth is is that God doesn't call us to the ordinary life. He calls us to the extraordinary life. He calls us to reach well beyond the norm. And so this is, I believe, still an opportunity for us uh, to dive in and dig in. Uh, We're excited uh, that you're here today, uh, that we get the opportunity uh, to open up the Word together. And we've got a lot of stuff happening coming up at Lakewood, not the least of which is next Sunday, we're gonna have the Advent event. Say that 10 times fast. Advent event. I can only say it that fast. Um, We're going to have the Advent event next Sunday, and that's going to be for our children's ministry to come in and learn a little bit about the Advent, also for parents to meet Anne Marie. uh, Sometimes uh, some people uh, meet her again and uh, hear her vision and everything that's coming on for the children's ministry coming up. We're really excited about that, but also something else exciting is happening in our building. It's been happening all week. You know, I, I come in every every day, and I get to see uh, this happening. We've had these volunteers for Operation Christmas Child in our lobby every day this week. They were up here at the church yesterday, um, working to send these boxes of of gifts uh, to kids across the world that have just well, really that this is one this is their Christmas. And what we're doing is we're including the message of the gospel. In this as well. Uh, it's a ministry that we're, we are so grateful that we get to be a part of. And so it's just a great thing. So I just want to start by saying thank you so much to all the volunteers and workers that have uh, put their time in for that. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's, that's great. I get excited when I get the opportunity to see the church acting like the church. When we work together for the gospel, whenever uh, we see needs and we rush to meet them, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fun thing to see. It's a fun thing to be a part of, and it's cool that we, as a church when we get to do that, because really we're called to be a people of faith, that's true, but we're also called to be a people of action. And in Timothy, what we're studying right now, we're actually in week three of our series on Timothy, we see Paul giving some pretty clear calls to action. So before we dive in any further, let's talk a little bit about the background of what is happening in Timothy. Um, Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is like a spiritual son to Paul. And Timothy is leading a church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is a predominantly Greek city. And because of that, there's this struggle in the church. Uh, there, there, there's a struggle to reconcile uh, the gospel and the Greek way of thinking, specifically when it comes to the resurrection. And so Paul writes to Timothy it's this guy that's like a son to him, but we also know this that Paul's also writing his last letter. Paul is about to be executed, and he knows it's coming. And so, in his final times, he writes this letter to Timothy to continue on his mission, to pass the baton to him. Um, but here's something to know Paul's a preacher, and he's writing this letter to Timothy, who's a preacher. So understandably, in 2 Timothy, there's a lot that Paul says about preaching or effectively communicating the Word of God. And you might be sitting there today or maybe later this week or maybe you're at home right now watching online or wherever you're at, and maybe you're thinking, God really hasn't gifted me in that way. I'm not a gifted communicator. I'm not, I'm not good at piecing these things together and then communicating them in that way. Uh, or maybe you're saying, I'm not a great communicator um, so if I can't do this well, does this mean that I can't serve the kingdom very well according to Paul? And maybe you're sitting there thinking, how does this really even apply to me? So before we go any further, let me, let me just say these things. The first is this. God has intentionally created you where you sit right now. Or even if you watch this video two years from now, God has intentionally created you. Not only that, but God has intentionally gifted you. He didn't mess up with you. It wasn't like I got all these other people taken care of, but whenever it comes to this one person, man, I don't know what I did with that guy. That's not what God does. God has intentionally created you. He's intentionally gifted you. 1 Corinthians 12 uh, 12, and then 14 through 18 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it's with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into the one body. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? That would be terrifying, but still. If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged, hear this, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. God has intentionally gifted you for service in the body. And there are people that are feet, there are people that are hands, there are people that are eyes, ears, noses, mouths. God has gifted each and every one of you, but we don't be, we're not the body unless we all step up and take our action, unless we all step up, embrace our gift, and put it to work. So God has intentionally gifted you. But here's the next thing, though. Because you are intentionally gifted for service in the body for the kingdom of God, but the next thing is this, that God does not hold you accountable for a gift that he hasn't given you. You get that? God does not hold you accountable for gifts that he hasn't given you. But here's the final thing. God does hold you accountable for how you use the gifts that he has given you. Matthew 25 tells the story of a man who has three servants. Now he goes away and he trusts trusts the servants. He gives them each and different amounts of money called talents, which were actually, it's a measurement or weight Of money. I read an article this week that said that if you were to take it and put it into today's terms, each talent would have been about $1.4 million. Um, I can't even begin to say that that was accurate, but it was just an interesting thing. Back to what we were talking about, though. He gives each of them a talent. Or not a talent. He gives one guy five talents. He gives the next two talents. And the last guy, he gives one talent. And then he goes away. And when he comes back much longer later, the servant who had five gives him five more. The one who had two had invested it and had two more. And the one that had one tells the master, I was afraid and so I buried it in the ground. But here's your talent back. To the first two servants, the master responds, well done, good and faithful servant. Great is your reward. But to the last one, he says that he's wicked and slothful. See, we're gifted by God in very different ways. But God didn't haphazardly gift you. You weren't an afterthought. We were gifted and called to use those gifts, not to bury them away, not to be ashamed of what God has given us, not to be too afraid to use what God has given us, but to use what God has given us. So as we go through this scripture today, if I can give you this encouragement, or really as we go through scripture anytime can we approach it with a heart that says god you have created me you have given you have gifted me you have called me and with how you have done that what would you have me do with your word what would you have me do with this because in 2nd Timothy 3:16 which we'll be studying in a couple weeks Timothy says that or Paul says that all scripture is breathed out by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So as we go through today, if I can encourage you, it's this. Go through with a heart that says, God, what would you have me do with this? With the way you've gifted me, with the way you've called me, what would you have me do with this? Let's stop and let's, let's go to God in prayer. Jesus, we love you, um, and we believe that you have called us. We believe that you have gifted us, God. We... Sometimes we don't really know how to, how to apply those things. And so, Father, I ask today that you would, you would give us the Holy Spirit in abundance that would help us to discern your word and apply your word. God, give us the courage not to bury things away, but, Father, to enact them. Father, I ask that you would speak through me. God, that these would be your words and not mine. And Lord, that you would push your people forward today. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going through the book of 2 Timothy, which are the last words that Paul has written. Um, and he writes them like a father would write to a son. So we're going to take a moment as we start. It's not going to be up on the screen. I wanted to give you a moment, like we have been doing, to just hear the passage not read it, just hear it for first. We're going to go through it, but we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Hear these words. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one who is approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Herminius and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is the word of Timothy, but this is also the word of God. So Timothy starts this passage in 2.14 by saying this. Remind them of these things. Now that these things that he's talking about is actually kind of what we talked about last week. He says, remind ourselves of these things. And in chapter 2, verse 8, we see what these things are. It says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. That's one of these things. Remember Jesus. Remember we talked about that. It's a battle cry. Remember Jesus. And the next thing is in 11. He says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So Paul starts this letter, or this chapter, or this section, by saying, before we go further, remind them of these things. And after that reminder, he gives a charge. In verse 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God. Before we go any further, that's a big charge. You get that? It's not just remind them of these things and then charge them to do this. What he says is remind them of these things and then charge them before God. If I were to come to you and I'd say, hey, can you, can you do this? and you say yeah sure and that's the end of the conversation that's, that's one thing but if I come to you and I say hey can I charge you before God to do something you feel the gravity of that situation just like okay this, this better be a big deal you know And what Paul says is this. He says, remind them that Jesus is resurrected. Remind them that if we live or if we die with him, we will live with him. That, you know, He goes through this whole list of things that we are supposed to be reminded of. And he goes through all that. And then he says, and then charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Remember, Paul is writing this to Timothy. Who was leading a church in Ephesus, and one of the things that happened in the church at this time is that there are a group of people who are taking individual words from prophecy, and they're twisting them to make a more palatable version of the resurrection. And everybody's just getting drugged down into this, just war about this. And so what Paul says is that they're getting so caught up on these small details that they're missing the whole point, That they're missing the whole meaning of the passage. It brings to mind the expression, missing the forest for the trees. This idea that we get so stuck on one thing that we actually miss the whole point. And don't get me wrong. Studying individual words is important. Um, We're going to have a word study later in the sermon. It's an important thing. It helps us understand the meaning of the passage. But getting caught on individual words and attempt to make the Scripture say what we want it to say can cause us to miss the point. And what Paul is saying is that the people here are missing the point. He says, remember these things and stop getting caught up on this. See the big picture. So the first point of the day is this, that we need to read Scripture with a desire to see what God is saying, not what we want Him to say. And this really sets up the theme of the passage. We see it in verses 14, 16, 22 and 23. Verse 14 says, "Don't quarrel about words." Verse 16 says, "Avoid irreverent babble." Verse 22 says, "Flee youthful passions." Verse 23 says, "Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies." Now they may not all seem to correlate, but the big picture is here, big picture here is that we need to keep our eyes focused on what really matters. Or as author Stephen Covey puts it, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. It's a lot. And as Christians, when we stop, we actually know what the truly important things are. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The truly important things are the things that continue to matter after our hearts stop beating, after our lungs stop taking breath, and we step into the eternal. The only things that really matter are the things that are eternal. And when we get caught up in things that don't matter, we tend to lose sight of the gifts that God has given us and the gospel that he has entrusted to us. So our next point is this, that our call is too urgent and important to be distracted by things that are not eternal. So Timothy then continues in verse 15. He says, Do your best to present yourself to God As one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So, Paul already says that hey, guys, it's important. Don't get caught up on what doesn't matter. Focus on Jesus. Get the big picture. And then he tells Timothy there's a lot here, but he tells Timothy, he starts out with this he says, Do your best. And I'll be honest, every time I hear the phrase do your best, my honest thought is kind of a negative connotation to it. Like, I remember one time, whenever I was in high school, I woke up, I ran into my parents at breakfast time, and I said, I have this gigantic test today, and I completely forgot to study for it. And my parents looked at me and said, I'm to do your best. And really, it's one of those things to where it's just like, I, I don't know what to do. I'm not prepared. And so the only thing is, well, I guess just do your best then. But that's not really what we see here by Paul to Timothy. See, Paul tells Timothy, you've been gifted, you've been called, and now take that gift and take that calling and do your absolute best with it. He's not saying as, do your best as a last resort in lieu of uh, preparation. What he's saying is do your best with everything that God has given you. He's putting it before Timothy to go out and do his best, to present himself to God. And he continues that, was present yourself to God as one who is approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. You know, earlier we talked about these three servants in Matthew chapter 25. Uh, Two of them stood before their master with no shame. They held up what they did and they said, this is what I did with what you gave me. And then the third one had nothing but shame. He said, I was afraid. I buried it. He had squandered the master's gift. And you were created with intention. You were gifted with intention. And so we're called to stand before the Lord, showing him what we've done with what he's given us. At this moment, um, whenever Hattie was born, you know, it was, it's, I was in college, and uh, it's, you know, it's the first, first child. And nothing really prepares you for the moment when you hold your kid for the first time. Um, uh, I mean, we had that with all four of our kids, but with Hattie, it was something special because this was our first child. And I remember I was, I was holding her and I was looking down and I was freaking out and I was just realizing that my whole life just changed and I wasn't sure what was gonna happen next. And then I looked up and my father was standing there and he looked at me and he said, well done, I'm just so proud of you. And at that moment, I looked at my wife and I'm like, she's the one that did all the work. I'm just holding the, the result. <laughs> but, but his thing was this. was he, he saw in his son a father. And he had that moment where he just had the pride come through him of saying, I'm just so proud of what you've done. And I, I, I'm, I'm very gifted that I have an incredible father in this world. Um, one who I can look forward to and honestly say that if I turn out like him, I'm okay with it. But in this moment, I got to see that he was proud of me and I had the the feeling of understanding that he was proud of me. And the truth is this, that we're called by God, we're gifted by God. If you think I'm saying that a lot in the sermon, it's because I really want you to get it. We're called by God, we're gifted by God and we're called to take that gift and put it into work so that one day we will stand before the Lord and we will be unashamed to show him what we have done with what he has given us and then we will hear him say, well done, I'm so proud of you my good and faithful servant. And one of the ways we're called to put our faith into action, Paul says it right here, is to rightly handle the word of truth. It's time for our Greek word. Are you ready? (laughs) Thank you. I love it. It can be a response-rich environment. We can do this. Um, The word is this, orthotomeo. You guys want to give it a shot? Orthotomeo. I heard I heard a couple of good ones, and then heard some mumbling. But we're good there. Orthotomeo. Now orthotomeo. It's uh, it's a word uh, which is the the root word of this in Greek is the word ortho, uh, which is uh, where we get the words like orthodontics and orthopedics. Uh, It's this idea of handling or of of this idea of straight. So like with orthodontics, it's where, you know, braces and stuff, you straighten teeth to make them right again. Orthopedics, it's where you take broken bones and you try to make them straight again. It's this idea of straight. So the word orthotomeo is a word that means to cut straight or dissect. So when it says rightly handling the word of truth, what it's saying is this, orthotomeo, the word of truth, orthotomeo, sorry, the word of truth. It means that we're called to cut straight into the word and dissect its meaning correctly. To understand what God is saying to us without putting our own spin on it. And interestingly enough, when you translate from Hebrew to Greek, uh, the same word, orthotomeo, shows up in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will Or Thotomeo, make your path straight. He's the one who makes our path straight. And he's the one who tells us to, with the best of our ability, study the word and earnestly seek to arrive at what God is saying, with what aligns with God's intention, leaving behind our own understanding in favor of his path. Because we so often can read things and twist them to make them say whatever we want. I read a story a while back, I don't even know if it's true or not, but it's funny, so we're going to go with it, Um, that said that the the Yankees took out a full-page ad one time that said, this just in, 10% of all baseball fans are Yankees fans. They were really excited about that. But then the very next day, the Red Sox took out an ad that says, this just in, 90% of all baseball fans hate the Yankees. We can take one truth and twist it to make whatever we want out of it. The art of it is not in, doing, in just figuring out how it applies to me directly, but instead looking at the full context of the passage and saying, God, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to communicate? And we're called to be good workers who stand before the Lord unashamed. And one of the ways we're called to show that is by correctly orthotomeo the word of God, correctly dissecting the word of God. And here's the thing. You kind of need the church to do that. But understand me on this. When I say you need the church, I'm not saying that you need Paul up here standing up on stage telling you what things mean. What I mean is this. You need the body of believers coming together, opening the word together, and dissecting scripture together. We seek God as a community, not just as individuals. Because God's word is not a liquid that fits to ever any container that you put it in. The Word of God is the foundation. We are the containers. No, sorry. <laughs> Word of God is the foundation, and it is the container that we are called to conform ourselves to fit into. Paul says it in Romans twelve two like this: "Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind." We are called. To be transformed to fit God, not the other way around. So the big points for the day are this. You're gifted. You're called to use those gifts for the kingdom. This is not only the command of God, but it's also the key to the greatest joy and potential of your life. Even if it's also the key to the harder path. And because we've been called and because uh, we also need to do our best not to get distracted by temporary things, we need to keep the main thing the main thing. That's the wide view. But if you want to know what you can start doing right now, if you if you sit there and say okay listen I get it that I'm gifted I get it that I'm called I get it that I'm 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 supposed to keep the main thing the main thing that's the whole big picture of this but if you're starting to sit there and say what is the application right now what do I do with this right now and the one thing I can tell you that we could do is this right here are you ready Orthotomeo <laughs> cut into scripture dive into its passages like diving into the ocean Dissect what God is saying and then begin to apply it with humility but apply it actively to your life. Because whether God comes back tomorrow, right? (laughs) We want God to come back tomorrow but whether he comes back tomorrow or in a thousand years, your time in this world is short. And it's too short to spend it on things that only matter in this life. And to be truthful, as I stand here, I long to stand before the Lord to lift up everything that I have done for God meaning every gift that he has given me I want to show him God this is what you gave me and this is what I did with it I want to put it in front of him and sometimes I got to be honest I'm so human that I feel like I've squandered his gift a little bit but I know that my actions don't add anything to God That he doesn't need me, but hear this, he wants me, and he wants you. Last point of the day is this, that God doesn't call us to be the producers of results. He calls us to act and trust in him to be the producer of results. So we're called to keep the main thing the main thing. We're called to step forward and to take our gifts and to put them into action, but we also have to understand that God isn't calling us to be the producer of results. He's not calling us to be the ones that figure all this stuff out and grow the crops and do all this. First Colo- or Corinthians 3.7 says this, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. So when we stand before God, we can with confidence present ourselves as approved workers who are not ashamed, who have done our best. And we can say, God, I did what you asked me to do, and you had the results, But can I be honest, though? Some days I am ashamed. Some days I care very little about what God has called me to. Some days I'm overwhelmed by distraction and apathy. And I approach God as more of an overwhelming to-do list than as a father. That's real. I really do that. Sometimes I forget to be in awe of God. And so Paul tells us here in his final writings, remember Jesus and his resurrection, a resurrection that is passed to us. Remember that when we die with him, we live with him. Remember that when we endure, we also reign. That if we deny him, he will deny us. But also remember that when we are faithless, he remains faithful. And he says, with that in mind, keep your eyes on the important things. An eternity that Jesus has provided for us through his death, which takes away our inability to live perfect lives. It takes away our guilt over having days where we don't do what we're called and his resurrection which gives us the hope that one day too we are going to be able to rise. So place your eyes on Jesus and understand that he is the one that was good on our behalf and that we're no longer defined by our own goodness but instead we have an adopted righteousness that that is what we get judged by. Let that be the thing that stirs you up. Let that be the thing that reminds you over and over again. And then we place our eyes on Jesus who gave us his absolute best in his life and in his death. And together as the church, our only natural response to that is to give our absolute best, which doesn't match at all. But we can stand before God unashamed because we know we took what he gave us. And we did our best. We're not called to perfection. We're called to step. We're called to try. We're called to fail and fail with gusto. But then we're also called to get back up. That's the big picture. That's the main thing, staying the main thing. So if I can finish with it today, it's just to say this. As the church, as individuals... Let us remember Jesus and keep the main thing the main thing. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, the way that you have provided for us. We don't deserve it. And the crazy thing is, is that you know that and you don't care. And so Father, thank you so much that we get to put on your righteousness and we get to accept your grace and it's not something that we have to earn. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would continue to carry these words into the hearts of your people and my heart and that we would leave this place today but we would remain the church. God, it feels like The world needs us to be the church more than ever. Father, please remind us. Please help us to see what's important. Father, I ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ.